So this is 13-week class uh, that we're called Life in the Church, and it's really all about unity. And if you look on the back of your handout, you can actually see the class outline. So two weeks ago, we started looking at Ephesians, and basically Ephesians chapter 3 is going to be the, like, the um, main verses that we return to over and over again, um, just because it, it talks about how, what the work that Christ did to unify people and then um, how... Uh, it's the way God has designed to glorify himself in the world is through his church. And then uh, last week we talked about um, membership and how it's unity through a depth of commitment and how uh, we are, when we like become a Christian and we decide to be a member of church, we covet it together to hold each other accountable, to help each other grow. And, and along with that becomes relationships that are deeper than that we would normally have if we were just together for uh, to watch a Steelers game or something like that. And then, um, just so you know, that there was, uh, we kind of went off on the tangent a little bit last week, which is fine if anybody has any questions or comments or anything. We got off on a little bit of tangent about, oh, uh, like, uh, what did we talk about? Like, remember we talked about, like, the first church? Like, uh, there was a question about parish, the parish model or, the like, how do parishes develop and um, how did, did local churches develop and what did they look like? from town to town in the Roman Empire and that sort of thing. And then we talked about the difficulties of gathering, how it was a lot of work together, and then how there's barriers today in some parts of the world to gathering and um, just the importance of gathering. And there was a question last week um, afterwards uh, about, you know, the tangent went off about, uh, about the importance of, um, what were we talking about? We were talking about, like, barriers to gathering and then, I talked about um, the pastor in Canada who ended up getting arrested, and uh, somebody afterwards asked me about clarification on that situation, and uh, I went back and read the Christianity Today article about it, and then I actually went back to the website, and I read all about the pastor and the church and on, from their perspective, and uh, just so you know, he wasn't arrested for preaching the gospel, so um, that was, I didn't want it kind of sounded like that whenever we were we were saying it, we eventually you could be arrested for that that was the point we were making last week but it was a bad example because that pastor was not arrested for preaching the gospel okay i'm going to make that clear but what he was what they what they were arrested for was gathering that was what it was cuz in their providence, and you know, with the coronavirus, it's all local rules. Different states, different municipalities, different, and Canada, different provinces have different rules. And then where they, their locality, their rule was you only could have a 15% capacity on gathering. And what they did was they just kept on gathering is what they did. And in defiance, they knew that the government said you can only have 15%, and they had, like, way over 15%. So that was, that was, and then I've read a statement from his lawyer saying, um, and published in a Canadian newspaper saying like this is they intentionally like they knew that they really felt like they they felt called by the Lord to gather and that's why they ended up gathering um, but it wasn't about what they were preaching it was the fact that they were gathering against the rules so I wanted to make uh, I wanted to fix that uh, question before we go on today and uh, going on today Today we're, we talked about last week. We talked about the um, the uh, the depth of commitment that comes with um, church unity, and today we're going to talk about the 
breadth. I guess getting mixed up. So we talked about like the deepness of our relationships with one another because of Christ. And now we're going to talk about the wideness. So it was deep and now it's wide. <laughs> there is a, a unity that comes from, in fact, there are people that have been to our church before. And I've heard this. I love hearing this, actually. I've, I loved hearing this, that people have said, like, I've gone to different churches and, you know, you just feel a certain way. And I don't really always like that because I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, you feel a certain way. Was it like too cold, too warm? It was, you know what I mean? What do you mean by like, I felt a different way? And, um, you know, when they say like, well, it kind of feels like a family, you know, everybody's talking and I see different people across different lines that are crossing. There's like a unity that's genuine. There's Christian fellowship. And even if people don't really understand the gospel, sometimes people will be impacted by the fact that there's Christian fellowship, a across lines that are usually there and why does that happen well like we said before when you become a christian you are a new creature in christ and like i've said before you are part of god's family what we've been preaching about you're you're united under christ as brothers and sisters i mean you're united to jesus if you are in christ and those are all amazing things that changes us it changes fundamentally our identity your identity in christ affects who you are and it affects your relationships with other people and that, that's special, right? That's unique. And so uh, w- diversity, what we're going to talk about today, is a natural outgrowth of the gospel. And it's important, but, it's, um, but another thing that I've talked about before is diversity, just to, for the sake of diversity, isn't exactly what we're shooting for. It's nice to have. It's an outcome of brotherly love. But it's, it's not, we don't want to forsake the gospel and forsake Bible teaching in order to have diversity. That's not the ultimate goal. And that is really something that we, all, we always need to be clarifying the fact that like diversity is good, right? But diversity without the gospel, that's not good. And so we shouldn't sacrifice the gospel in order to get the world's view of diversity. So in this class, we're going to start by examining the purpose of diversity in Ephesians chapter 3, and then what exactly this diversity is, where it comes from, and finally three ways to cultivate our unity in diversity. So any, um, any question, any comments or anything? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so diversity, I forgot on the handout here. Diversity is more important than it may seem, and, and at the same time, it's less important than it may seem. Um, and I think that's true. I think there's a lot of us who have like, you know, we've heard so much about diversity, and we've talked so much about it, and um, it, it's like this balance, right, of like how important it is it, and. Um, I mean, how, do, how does it look in the church? I think these are all excellent, excellent questions. And I think it's one of the ways that we, sh- we magnify the Lord, right? It's one of the ways that God is glorified. So uh, the purpose of diversity. First of all, let's start in Ephesians 3, 8, and 10. Can somebody look up Ephesians 3, 8, and 10? And your handout is just Ephesians 3, 10, but I want to read Ephesians 3, 8, and 10. Oh. oh my! That's okay. Ephesians uh, chapter three, eight. Hey, how you doing? Three, eight, and ten. Okay. 
Eight, nine, and ten. Sorry, it's hard to hear. So what is God's eternal purpose? For the church to display the, his wisdom in all of creation. How? Well, Paul says here that it has to do with the mystery of God that is now revealed. And the mystery that he says is in chapter 3, verse 6. That he says uh, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What God has done is amazing. He prophesied this in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. It says, it is, is it too light? It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So what we see here is now in Christ, using Paul's gospel ministry, God has done this. Christ, in Christ, the descendants of Abraham are not merely those who um, are born at, you know, out of his flesh, but those who have his faith. Those are the ones who are now part of the, of the family of God here. And then it says that even rulers and authorities in heavenly places set up and they take notice of the unity between Jew and Gentile. And it's because Christ, it says in Ephesians, Ephesians Christ has the, the, torn down that dividing wall of hostility that exists, where these two people groups were different ethnicity-wise. They were different. They were from a different culture, different theological beliefs, and this caused open hostility between these two groups. But a first-century reader might object and say, well, unity across those different lines is impossible. Well, you know, it says in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, that now it says, now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul describes this. This is a work of the Lord. This is a work of, um, of God's doing immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Yeah. I think, right, I don't think they have a full understanding of the future and of God's unfolding plan. And I think they uh, are were just as surprised as, you know, as we are now. You know what I mean? I mean, it talks about, um, where is it at where it says the angels long to look into these things when it's talking about the gospel and in, incarnation and uh, just how special and unique it is. Um, yeah, uh, I, so I do think the angels are probably surprised too. So like I said, diversity is not the main point. Unity in diversity is the main point where God takes, shows the power of the cross by taking two different people, types of people, and bringing them together even though they're different and uh, to display the, the power of the cross. Oh, at the bottom it says the illustration of marriage here. Um, and it is, marriage is a pretty good illustration. Marriage celebrates unity and diversity at the same time. 
where there is one unit, but there's two different people, and they're united, but each person brings their own strengths and weaknesses to a marriage, and it's, it's, it's a work of God to, to display God's work. You want to start recording? Or? I did. You did already? Should I use the microphone? It's not live, but uh, I guess that will help. If you wanted to make it live and send the link to Dan, he's asking. Hearing check. Check one. Check one. All right. Roman numeral three, the character of diversity. When Paul talks about uh, Jews and Gentiles, there's a lot of difference. There are a lot of differences between Jews and Gentiles, and there's a lot of barriers that, that the gospel breaks down. And I, I thought of seven different ones I listed here that, that uh, barriers to the church should be characterized by unity and fellowship. And the first one, probably the barrier that you all thought about whenever I said there's diversity in the church is barrier boundaries of ethnicity. You know, like I said, it's, uh, it's some, you know, talking about the, uh, all the discussions about race relations and diversity and um, what impact that has in society, what impact that has in, our, in the church, especially as Christians. I mean, we're, we, we know it's, oh, it's, it's uh, a topic that's always been, that's always on the front of our minds and that we, you know, exist every single day. And um, the, the world can go, and, and it was the same too with Jews and Gentiles as well. The world can go wrong in two different directions here. First, you know, you can judge people, of course, by the, by the color of their skin. You can uh, think that the, the image of God isn't in somebody because of what they look like. And on the other hand is the idea of pluralism, which I talked about where, just, you know, you can just throw out the gospel, throw out Christ at the center and have diversity for only for diversity's sake. But, you know, as a church, we value ethnic diversity because it testifies that Christ is our center and Christ is our true identity. And so that's the most important thing when it comes to churches. And there's a lot of different ways you can put this, but I, I think that's the, the, the most important thing, like we've always talked about, is, is that Jesus Christ is lifted up. And, that's, and we want to see, it's one of the things we pray for, it's one of the things we value. We would love, to, we want to see a church that reflects the community that's it a part of. And, but, but I don't want to just camp out on the boundaries of ethnicity all morning because we could do whole classes of course we could talk some churches talk about it every week for years you, you could just talk about that but if you thought about this there's a lot of other boundaries that that are set up in churches that one of them is the boundaries of age i mean there's a lot of churches that say well this is you know you don't have to come out and say it but you could say well this, you know, there's a lot of young people at this church or there's a lot of old people at this church what we want to see is a church that has young and old in the same in the same group, right? In the same room. And where else would you see young people and older people doing stuff together, but 
we're at, but in church. You know what I mean? That's what we want to see happening. There's boundaries of economics. You know, our world is familiar you know, with rich people doing you know, kind things for poor people, but when rich people tend to do kind things, they go, you know, they go back to their rich neighborhoods, right? And they, go, and they have neighbors and friends. They're all the same. And James especially talks about how they, they don't need, there shouldn't be any barriers. And we don't want a church that has like, a, you know, we don't want to be known as like a rich person's church or a poor person's church, right? You don't want to be known as that either. You want to be... Uh, cross the lines that, for us, we want to cross the lines that are, that are, that reflects our neighborhood, but we don't want to be a church where people are just driving in from, that live in mansions far away and they drive in just to have um, a church of rich people. What we want to, James, I mentioned James chapter 2 talks about favoritism. So James said this was, think about this, this is already happening in that church, right? Where people, or he says he was warning about it. If somebody rich comes in, don't treat them different than anybody else. So that's um, something that we we need to be aware of already in churches in the first century. And then it doesn't matter if it's a small church or big church; you don't treat people differently. We want our church to to cross lines, and we believe that unity um, of diversity crosses lines politically as well. You could be somebody who doesn't care about politics. You could be somebody who's really into politics. Both of you should be able to talk cordially in the church. You could be somebody on one side of the aisle or somebody on another side of the aisle. But we should be able to find commonality in the, the ultimate reality that we are part of God's kingdom. And that should be the defining characteristics of who we are as Christians. And some people are really into politics, but I don't want to be known as a church that uh, preaches politics from the pulpit. I don't want to be known as a church that talks about and endorses candidates. You know, I don't want to be known as somebody who either puts down a candidate or lifts up a candidate. I don't want to be about candidates at all. There's a lot of different ideas of political structures and governing structures and authorities. But really, we, like I've said before, um, even through the turmoil of any kind of political season, we must remember that Jesus Christ is our, is our high king. Jesus Christ is our one and only authority, the highest authority. We, um, there's boundaries of personality. You ever thought about that? You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and today I'm going to mention it as well, that during the sermon, that everybody has a certain gift. Everybody has strengths, and the, the church needs every single person. So a church might be difficult, and a gathering might be difficult for people um, who don't like to start conversations with strangers, right? A new person comes in, and you might be like, um, well, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't start conversations with people, so you don't go and talk to that person. And you might say, well, oh, I wish I was like so-and-so, an extrovert, where I could go talk to those people. But it doesn't really matter um, whether you see yourself as an introvert or an extrovert, whether you are a more reserved person or a more outgoing person, whether you're loud, whether you're quiet. It doesn't really matter because in the church, you're valuable. Every single person in the church is valuable. Every single person has a gift that is used to build up the body of Christ. And so the church is for every personality type. There's boundaries of cultural background. We know this is that, um, especially for those of you who grew up in a church that there's cultural backgrounds uh, that have an expectations of what a church should be like. And we know that every church is going to reflect their own, um, own community, uh, their own background. I mean, like we are an English-speaking church, and there's our churches that in other parts of the world, they're, they're not English-speaking, or in other parts of America that have uh, different languages that speak different um, 
different languages spoken at churches. So just by our culture, because we're all Pittsburghers here, we're all going to have a similar culture. And even if we think, oh, you know, um, this isn't um, a city where it's just like people moving in from all over the place, but but we have to recognize that um, there are cultural backgrounds that for, that every single person, new or older, and every single person is coming from an idea of, well, this is what I think of when I think of church. You know what I mean? So we all have backgrounds that we have in our in our own life that when we come into a church, we must understand that uh, it, that there's differences there. And then there's boundaries of ability. What I mean by that is like Tom has mentioned before, uh, like when we do in the dinner last Saturday, sometimes uh, deaf people tend to be abused and mistreated on, on a regular basis. And so deaf people tend to stick, close off and stick to themselves a lot. And some, um, you mentioned that some of the people that you've talked to, they like this area as opposed to other areas of the city where they feel like they're mistreated and a lot of abuse happens because they don't get listened to, right? And Or think about this, like some handicapped people, um, like in wheelchairs or scooters, they can feel pushed away and not welcomed in a church because of access. Because, you know, churches are grandfathered in and they don't have to have ADA-compliant facilities. Because In a lot of old churches, there are steps everywhere. Well, what does that do? It cuts off people and they... Yeah, you're not going to say you're not welcome here. You're going to say you're welcome here. You're welcome. But if, um, if a person has to like make a long trek down the block and get on a certain ramp and go on this way and that way, I mean, they can just feel like there's a lot of barriers. And they don't, it, makes them, it may make them feel uncomfortable, you know? And they might, what happens is when we talk about abilities is that, um, or maybe somebody with certain mental disorders, whether um, autism or other diagnosed disorders, they could feel like an outsider, or they could feel less than in a, in a church. But a gospel-preaching church sees all people as equal and welcomes those people who are most vulnerable for whatever reason that might be. And uh, so, you know, this is a good time to pause and to, to think about our own life and think about our own church, to praise the Lord for the diversity that he's already worked in our own congregation, and to ask if there's ways that we could grow Personally, and also as a church, are there ways that we can um, cross different boundaries? Uh, are there ways that we can uh, maybe look and, and consider the fact that somebody might uh, be thinking or feeling in a different way that we might need to reach out and that sort of thing? But um, those are, like I said, seven boundaries about, about, um, about diversity. Is there any Any questions or comments about things that we've talked about so far? Yeah, go. You mean they hurt you and then you, uh, they asked for forgiveness or they didn't ask for forgiveness? Um, or they didn't they, know? They didn't necessarily ask, but maybe they didn't know. Yeah. yeah maybe it's just my own personal, like, issues. Or if I do something and I feel like it wasn't, like, this is all simple, but if I do something and I feel like it wasn't, like, received as well, like, how I would have liked this to be received, like, oh, I think thank you, a bigger thank you for the uh-huh. then I'd, like, shut off the, oh, I don't want to do it. Yeah. 
But that's, again, that's my own issue. That's my personal yeah, issue. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it is a personal issue, and it's an issue that we all struggle with. Uh, it really is. But yes, um, I think what you're describing is more personal than corporate, but it also is more universal and that we all do that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know I do the same thing, you know? And I, go ahead. Did I you think just? that that can cause division that then we might think is division because of some of these boundaries. Oh, yeah, really that could be. Um, that is true. It could start out as something... They, maybe they didn't even know that they, like, maybe they thought they thanked, thought you, thanked you? Thought, I almost said thanked you. Uh, maybe they thought they didn't mean to hurt you, right? Or they, they didn't mean to overlook you, and they didn't, and they didn't, or they didn't mean to hurt you. And, um, and you thought, well, maybe that's, they're treating me this way because of, you know, one of these categories here, you know? And in reality, it could be no, no, right? It could be that they just were oblivious, right? It is hard, yeah. Gracious, yeah. We need to be gracious with those people that we are asking for grace in return, right? But it is also good to think that um, to think through some of these uh, boundaries. Um, again, to try to be aware that you might be, you just might be from a different culture, right? Like, as far as, like, I don't know, I don't, like, where I'm from, you don't need to do a thank you note or whatever. But where you're from, you do. So I, I'm being insensitive if I don't recognize that in you, you know what I mean? And um, so I, don't, I think that's helpful, too. In uh, Colossians 1, it says that, that Jesus is the head of the body, and, and in him all things are preeminent. So in all of those situations, if the Lord Jesus is first and foremost with our response, or even with our thinking, um, we're way ahead of, of using the boundaries at some kind of level. And, and what ends up happening is it's like uh, months ago, Phil, Phil mentioned John 3.16, whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, our focus should be on that whosoever believes because we don't want anything. So maybe that helps in the response. That uh, that maybe that helps in the response that somebody is hurting me, but that person is doesn't know God, or I want that person to know God, and that's the first response back. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um. said you miss so much if you're just surrounded by people like you, right? Yeah. They do. That's what we're going to get into too, is like there is a lot of good that can come with 
being more diverse. There, like it can open your eyes to different ways of, of looking, you know, and understanding and thinking. And uh, I think um, what you're talking about, I was just thinking about being easily offended is not a good character quality to have. And we all have done that, like I'm saying. Um, and because when you're easily offended, you can easily say, well, they're not treating me right because of my, you know, age or something like that. Or they're looking at me differently because, um, um, because of the color of my skin. And in reality, it's, it could be a different barrier that's, that's causing division there. And then it's funny, too, is like some people say, well, this uh, division is, not to get too far off track, but like some people would say um, this division is, has to do with ethnicity. In reality, it's more culture, you know what I mean, than it is ethnicity. Uh, or, and, and it could be this way, you know what I'm saying? It could be... Um, I think we, it's easy to throw up certain barriers over other barriers, is what I'm trying to say. You, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's almost like an excuse. It could be an excuse, that's right. Yeah. Especially in our day and age, we could always throw that up and say, like, you're treating me this way because, of, because I'm black or because I'm white. And in reality, it's like, well, it could be something totally different. You know what I mean? Right. Like and it's a lot easier to just be with your friends that you or your family. Yeah. But when you start to everybody has different backgrounds and you don't know how you're offending people all the time. So we have to constantly be like think the best about people. Yeah, and we always need to be hearing about the gospel of grace from the from the front, like all the time. We need to be and that's where the more I think the more we preach the gospel, the more we talk about grace, the more diverse we will become. And then the less we do that, whether we mean to or not, we'll just become a siloed church, right? You know what I mean? We'll just become a church of, uh, you know, you were telling me this morning about the church that you grew up in, and it's, it probably became, not that they didn't preach the gospel, but I'm just saying, like, everybody, you were saying everybody looked dressed alike, right? Everybody ended up dressing alike, you know what I mean? Numeral four, the foundation of diversity. So how do we get this? Part of this happens because 
And this is kind of uh, interesting. We've kind of touched on this already. But look in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 3. Paul says in chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So who did this? Who created the one new man? Who created the new peace? Well, it was Christ. And so this is what happened in salvation. This is one of the things, this is like... It's uh, funny to say, but we can't work to make unity. We are the ones who are, are been impacted by Christ, and we are the ones who are made new. It's Christ who, div- who tore down that dividing wall of hostility. And sometimes we want to do this in our own strength, not realizing that Christ has already broken down that wall for us. And so, again, like we've talked about, is how do you get a church full of people that are um, showing grace to one another and who are quick to receive grace and quick to assume grace and quick to... Uh, not hold an offense against somebody, well, it has to go back to what Jesus has already done for us and the fact that Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us, our sins aren't counted against us at all. And so whether it's the sin of offending somebody or the one, uh, whether it's the sin of, 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 of being the one who did the offending or being offended against, those, all, every sin you can think about has already been broken down by Christ. And so that's got to be the foundation of who we are as a church. But then it says in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because this is who we are in Christ. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So how do we cultivate our unity in diversity? Well, we know uh, one of the ways is to recognize the invisibility of the church. So... Um, First of all, well, it must be said that we do need to pray for unity. Um, we need to pray that we are, uh, like we've talked about so far, we need to be praying that we're all people who um, are gracious with one another. And then to recognize the fact that um, there is a culture that you're swimming in that you don't even recognize. Just like a fish doesn't recognize that a fish is wet. There is a background that you have that you have that you might not realize, and you might not realize it until you go someplace else. So, like, some people might say, you know, I, I have, or have you ever gone someplace else, maybe, and say, uh, or maybe when you moved here from Iowa and said, man, peop, people here have an accent, right? Or you, you go someplace and say, they say, you have an accent. Well, I don't have an accent, you know. Everybody else, they all have accents, not me. Well, you're, you're just used to where you came from, and you end up talking like the people that you come from, not realizing the fact that uh, there is a difference there. In Acts chapter 6, when conflict arose between two different groups of people in the church, it was because the Greek-speaking widows were overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So their fact that their complaint was against the Aramaic-speaking Jews and that the apostles took this problem seriously suggests that there might have been a problem between the majority culture not recognizing the needs of the minority culture. The Aramaic-speaking Hebrews overlooked the Greek-speaking Jews, the widows. So did they do it intentionally? It says they overlooked them, which means they probably didn't. There could have been a division of 
of ethnicity. There could have been division of language. There could have been division of age. They were widows who were supposed to be, not necessarily back then, a widow wasn't necessarily old, but there was a language difference that, that caused this diversity. And the, the apostles knew that this was so serious that they, they addressed this topic here in the church because there was disunity that was taking place. When Paul in Romans 12, 10 through 10, 10 through 11 tells us to love one another with a brotherly affection and to outdo one another in showing honor, uh, this must surely involve working to make the assumption, assumptions of our own culture a little more obvious so that we can be aware of other people. And so one of the best ways that we can do this is to ask, to, to be willing to talk to somebody, ask open-ended questions, ask thoughtful questions about somebody, uh, about maybe their background, what it was like for them to grow up. You know what, um, you're, Alexis, what you were just sharing about how this church is the first um, church like it that you've ever been a part of. So like asking what your background was like, what churches were you a part of, what was their churches like, and you sharing what you just shared about what you felt like coming into here, that's really helpful. You know what I'm saying? It's really helpful to those of us who are here and the next person who might come through the door. And you sharing with the next person that might come to the door. You mean, so we all come from backgrounds, right? So our backgrounds can be used to reach other people too. That's, that glorifies God. So my personal background, coming from that really reformed church, uh-huh. it made me feel like, um, not, like I wasn't very valuable. Mm. So then that's why I, I shied away from talking to people mm. a lot because I feel like I don't really have much to add. Hmm. That's, that's good. I mean, that's uh, sad. I mean, it's good that, I hope that you're showing that now because you don't feel that way here. Oh, you know, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I had a church that treated me horrible, and this church is just like, like it. Same, same here. <laughs> so, I used to be like afraid to talk in Sunday school. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you remember that, Alexis. It was like, I, I didn't want to say anything because I was just afraid of the shame that would come like if mm. I said something wrong or I wasn't all the way theologically. Like, I don't know, just it was all... Well, we don't want that. I mean, we want every person to know that doesn't like every person has is valuable. It really is helpful. We always talk about we've been talking about discipleship a lot with the elders and like discipling someone who's younger in the faith or something like that. And um, but it's like you kind of realize like you can learn from everybody. And if somebody's in Christ, your brother and sister, you shouldn't say, well, you now you have to attain to a certain level of sanctification in order to be accepted, in order to be heard. You need to be heard no matter what. What did you share? <laughs> what did you share? Yesterday I was saying how, like, like, for instance, when it comes to, like, marriage, I don't believe that you can only talk to married people. I think it's very important to get input from, like, single people and all yeah. because they, they have wisdom to. At, at, right, at, right on. Yeah. So. I've heard it illustrated, like, in the church specifically with older and younger people that it's not, like, a ladder where, like, older people are higher on the ladder. It's more like a tree. So they might have climbed a little farther up in the tree, but like everybody's on the tree and able to like share. That's a good illustration. Root around the tree. So First Corinthians chapter twelve. You guys have already mentioned this uh, number B. Wait, letter B. Embrace those who are different from you. We've all talked about that kind of where we've been emphasizing the importance of that. Because we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. 
So we all have, the body is made not up of one part, but of many parts. Uh, a tree illustration is good, and that, that is really good, not just about age, but about, um, you know, Scripture uses the body illustration. Uh, another illustration is um, like the, the food pyramid or the food plate of the nutrition guidelines. So like different variety, you know, you should always have different variety of relationships. What I'm trying to get at is that we should all have a different variety of relationships with people in the church. We need to, even if we're a Christian, even if we like the church as a whole, we could still silo ourselves inside the church. You know, like the Paul said, the church needs to, to break down, right, the dividing wall of hostility. And do you think that Paul said, okay, so now we need to have a small group of Aramaic-speaking people and a small group of Hebrew-speaking people and a small group of widows? Um, no, he didn't necessarily do that, right? There was still diversity inside the church. And we could go to a church, it could be a small church, it could be a big church, and we could still only seek out those people that are just like us and say, even if you're young and say, well, I want to learn from the older people, and then all you do is hang out with older people, then you're, not, you're still not like getting a wide variety of people or people who have been at Christians for a long time. Or you could say, like, we have a lot, you know, I'm white, so I have a lot, of, lot to learn from African-American brothers and sisters. So I'm just going to spend all my time talking to them. Well, it's like, well, now you're, you might be missing something else. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't just say, I, I need to only learn from one type of people. We need to be learning from every person that's in the church. We can't close ourselves off to anybody whether and put up any kind of barrier. And I know it's easy to do that. I know it's easy to say, I'm going to talk to... Um, People that are just like me, married with kids and comes from the same background and or is in the same line of work that I'm in. I mean, that's what's going to be really easy for me to do. That that is what's easy to do. But we, we shouldn't we need to be more we need to be aware uh, of ourselves and where we fit in the church and not just be in and out and that sort of thing. In order to do this, we need to make sacrifices for the sake of unity. It says in Romans 12.1, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So how do we do this? Well, Romans goes on in chapter 12 to say, "Practice." He says, love must be sincere. Practice hospitality. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people in low position. Is Romans 12.16. Romans 12 goes on and talks about these are all the ways that we need to be with other people in the church. And so, um, like I said, you could, go to a, you could go to a diverse church, yet never lift a finger to get to know someone who's actually different than you. In that sense, God calls us not to be consumers in the church, church, but to be producers. If we value diversity, we need to be putting ourselves into action by making personal sacrifices for us to grow. That might mean sacrificing your comfort to reach out and associate, associate with somebody who's not naturally drawn to you. Mark chapter 9, verse 35 says, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. We can sacrifice our preferences in a lot of different ways. If it's like the songs that we want to sing sung, have sung. It could be in um, food that people bring to a, a fellowship meal or something like that. We should honor one another above ourselves, which means not looking only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We need to be um, making sacrifices in, in the way of our resources and our time to serve fellow church members, to host in our house maybe, to give people a ride to church maybe, to, to care for kids. 
Um, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Let us not love just with our words or our tongues, but in actions and in truth. And we sacrifice our habits to make space for knowing others who might have a different schedule than we have. And, you know, like, for example, uh, we need, we, maybe we're the planning type and we've already got a roast in the oven now, but maybe we should be willing to, to set aside our plans if we're a planner and be spontaneous to go to lunch with somebody after church who's different from us or, or vice versa. We maybe need to, you know, make some plans with somebody because they work better with plans. You know, whatever it is, is like our habits, our resources, our times, our preferences, our own comfort level. We need to be willing to sacrifice all of those things for the sake of unity. So like I said, though, the point of doing this is not just to check off a box and say, okay, great. Now I have a couple friends that are different from me. We need to understand that Christ's death has ultimately produced unity. And we need to cultivate our unity in diversity in order to testify to the matchless grace that has been given to the church, given to us. And understand that it is a privilege for us to gather together. It's a privilege for us to to be together where we can make the name of Jesus Christ known. Is there any uh, questions or comments so far? Well, I want to leave us with this amazing vision of unity within diversity. You know, like I said, uh, one of the biggest uh, things is language. You know, you could, uh, like I said, you could be in a church that has a different language and... uh, I think it's one of the. It, I think it's one of those things that like nobody ever says. We need to have a diverse church when it comes to linguistically speaking, because we all need to be understanding one another. And I think it's okay sometimes to have a church that is that has its own culture. It's okay to have a church that does have some barriers. Like I said, we're not going to have every language that's here because we all speak English. Um, and it's okay that there are churches that are different. To because you'll have that sort of thing, you know. Um, but understand that there's going to and there's going to be a day, someday, when even the la- the barrier of language is going to be no more. There's going to be a day, someday, when people from every it says in in Revelation seven nine through twelve. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What an amazing picture of people from from every people group from all over the world. All gathering around the throne and worshiping Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Let's pray for unity through, uh, like last week, uh, unity and through the breadth and, and through the depth and now through the breadth. God, we know that you um, are, are doing a work in our own lives that is really the result of Jesus Christ alone. You have made us one family, brothers and sisters in Christ. You have made us, gave us a new identity in Christ. 
so that that is the most important thing in our own life, and it becomes the most important thing in our relationships with one another. So I thank you that we can have a depth of relationships with one another that it goes, below, be below, goes beyond the surface level, like we talked about last week. How we have more in common with our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're in Africa or Asia or in America, more in common with those brothers and sisters than we even do our own um, family members who don't know you because the blood of Jesus Christ is, is the most important thing in our life. And so I thank you that we can have deep relationships with one another and that we can help one another, whether we're old or young or different backgrounds or different ethnicities, we are one in Christ, and we thank you for that. And God, we pray that you would unify us against uh, across all these different boundaries, these different lines that, that could easily be thrown up and that could be drawn between us. We thank you that you have torn down the dividing wall of hostility. And we do pray for unity. And we pray, God, that we would all be individuals who would not be easily offended. We would uh, all be individuals who are quick to assume the best about another person. And we pray that we would be individuals who are quick to show grace to one another and to receive grace from one another. And God, I pray that you would unify us across lines, across boundaries, that you would unify us under Jesus Christ, the banner of our Lord. And God, we pray that you are glorified in your church so that uh, people in the world and like it says here that even the beings in heaven would be amazed at the majesty of our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.